it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome to Girls Room, where each week we unpack the foundational text of the 2010s, HBO's Girls. I'm Julia Gray, and with me I have my incredible co-host, Drew Haskins. Howdy. And we have a very special guest, Brenda Jagata. How you doing? Hi, good. How are you? I didn't ask ahead what I didn't credit you. How how are we crediting you these days? Oh, uh, freelance writer and union organizer. I love that. Love it. And culture aficionado, brilliant writer. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, how did, what does Hannah say? The voice of a generation? Or exactly. a voice of a generation. A voice of a generation. <laughs> wow. That one really stuck with me. That's one of the girls' quotes that will never leave my brain. I'll be saying it on my deathbed. Literally. I mean, it got yeah. people so mad. I feel like it was, yeah, peak uh, misunderstanding the whole, Hannah's whole bit, you know, with people Absolutely. getting into that plan. <laughs> yeah. Before we jump into any episode talk, I want to hear about your experience with the show Girls. Like, I honestly, I didn't know you were a, a girl's girl. I want to hear about, like, when did you become a fan, et cetera. Mm-hmm. A girl's girl, yes. Um, when did I become a fan? I became a fan randomly. I I watched the randomest things like on the plane to India because it's such a long flight, and I like just run out of things. So I just you know I hadn't really given girls that much of a chance. And then I was going to India. Um, it must have been it was towards the end of Girls' run. I think it was probably like 2015 or 2016. And I was like going to India and I like just randomly, they had like two random episodes from vastly different seasons. And mm-hmm. I just like watched them. And I was like, oh my God, I am obsessed with this. I have to watch the whole thing. And then I watched all of it in like, you know, like five days or something. Um, what so year that, was this? This must have been, so wait, what year did Girls End? This is like the year before. This is 2017. 2017. So I think this was either, this is end of 2015 or... Yeah, I think it was end of 2015 that this happened. Yeah. That I had this like revelation that I love the show. <laughs> and then I so then I watched the last two seasons like in real time. I love that. That's a great girl's origin story. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And now I am uh working on my own screenplay for fun. And I have been kind of like scared to delve into girls again because it I just like I'm so jealous. I have so much yeah. like <laughs> writer envy where I'm like oh like I just can't like I'm going to compare to what I've written and like but um, yeah every millennial girl writer has the <laughs> Lena Dunham fear you know exactly mm-hmm. or Lena Dunham envy mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. um have you ever rewatched the show or have you just done like that initial watch I did that initial. I'm trying to think if I ever. I think I did do a rewatch at some point, and then obviously ahead of this, you know, uh, to us mm-hmm. taping this, I rewatched um like a bunch of episodes. So, 
And I, I'm about to start from season one because I'm hooked again. <laughs> you get that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's time. I did this thing that on TikTok they they said I like refer to everyone as just like one unified source. Like TikTok told me, um, but yeah, TikTok was telling me to um buy the script of Fleabag and like read along because apparently you glean a lot from doing that and I kind of want to do that with girls I want to like see if I can buy the script somewhere oh I love that wait it's I actually for this exact episode you can just like google an episode and write like girls season six episode three script and Mm. they're all there you can find them okay I should just I can just google it that sounds that sounds like a good plan (laughs) it's this amazing thing called google (laughs) <laughs> I know, oh, I'm yeah. like, I've never thought of this. Um, <laughs> did you see that tweet that was like, like, why am I on a date? And this guy like pulled up the whatever, some episode of Girls and is making me read it out loud. <laughs> oh my God. No. <laughs> um, no. Did it, yeah. did it specify is- which episode, which scene? I need it to meet did. the it did I'll find the tweet and I'll send it to you I literally was like I sent this to like so many friends and I was like I this is my dream date like I want to be yeah. oh yeah <laughs> I want to do a table read oh my god yeah <laughs> so funny so funny I need to update all my dating app bios like pronto to get somehow like manifest this for me like this is what I've always wanted your, your <laughs> a voice of a generation I think that's a good a good bio a good lead <laughs> that is a great bio actually so, Rinda, we ask every guest, which girl are you at your core, at your essence? Oh, God. Okay. I feel like, is it like a faux pas? Like, okay, like, you know how if you ask someone what, like, Harry Potter house they are, if they say they're, like, a Gryffindor, it's kind of like a faux pas to be like, I am brave. Like, I am whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm like, is it a faux pas to say you're the main character? Like, can I just, like. <laughs> Not at all. No. She's, okay. She's one of five. Is it four or five? she's one of the few choices (laughs) right so I guess it's okay I feel like I'm Hannah I am um kind of a narcissist and kind of I love to talk (laughs) and yeah I feel like I mean they're all kind of narcissists I guess is the thing but like I feel like all of Hannah's insecurities are my insecurities and like all of the things she thinks are so great about herself are also unfortunately the things I think are so great about myself (laughs) So yeah, I definitely am Hannah. Um, I feel that I'm, I'm similar. I'm yeah. like a Hannah Shosh cusp. I feel like you could be a Hannah Shosh cusp as well. Okay, yeah, Shosh. I mean, it's good to have a little Shosh in you because that's like the grounding element. Like you're not, mm-hmm. yeah, you you have some tie to reality. Also, like extremely anxious, which I also uh, also resonates. I want. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I want to be fucking Jessa. Like I really do. I <laughs> I guess everyone does. That's the whole thing. Very few people have come on this podcast and uh, declared Jessa. Yeah. What do you want to say? Mm, that's a good question. What okay. would you say, Drew? What I can most- say every single, with confidence, every single writer who has ever come on the show has said Hannah. That's not at true. least in part. I don't I, but okay, almost everyone. I like if we <laughs> model, if we do the data visualizations, I do think that like maybe almost a lot of people say Marnie. We get a lot of Marnie. Really? We do get a lot people of Marnies. Say, really? I was gonna say, like, has anyone ever said Marnie? I can't imagine. Like, oh yeah. <laughs> me? Wait, you're a Marnie. Oh yeah. I mean, me pulling out like data visualization and stats, <laughs> like, yes, I'm the Marnie. <laughs> um I do I find 
her really reminiscent of like the worst parts of myself which is hard to I think that is like just the girl's of it all in general like these are not characters who reveal our positive attributes as much as our like deepest like wells of insecurity and Marnie's definitely that for me um I have seen myself more in Hannah as well as time has gone on which has been a journey because I hadn't mm-hmm. re this show before doing this podcast and revisiting Hannah and reconnecting with her has been like kind of a little joy like one of the great things about the show I think like you do kind of you really come to understand all of them by the end but like Hannah most of all especially in this episode totally yeah totally I guess that's in that um just to go back briefly to what I was saying before like how it's you know I can feel cringy to say like I am the main character in this show it's not actually that cringy because no one's like no one is a great person it's not like you're saying you think you're perfect when you say you're any one of these mm-hmm. people. Actually, it's like the opposite. Exactly. You're just deciding which flaw you'd like to share. <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. Like, which is most prominent. Exactly. I don't know. This is semi, um, I guess, related. Brenda, are you at all, like, interested in astrology? Or, like, do you buy it? Or are you anti any? Where do you land on the spectrum? I love it. I'm not, I really only know about the signs that are in my own chart, uh, mm-hmm. which is, maybe a Hannah move uh uh, (laughs) I know a lot about those uh signs and I love to ask people about it because it like is very revealing about what they see in themselves or what they I honestly love to ask people I'm like do I seem like a Virgo to you and I like to see what why I seem like one or don't (laughs) yeah I feel like I don't totally buy it but it is an interesting way to talk about personality and like how you see yourself how other people see you I'm asking because um we've never talked about the girls zodiac signs or like which sign they might be Ooh, yeah Barney's a textbook Virgo yeah right mm-hmm. question mm-hmm. um Shosh maybe an Aries yeah I, I can know. see Aries for her um Jess says probably a Gemini or a Scorpio, like yeah. maybe yeah. more or, of a Scorpio than a Gemini, or a Leo maybe. Ooh, I could see, I could see a Leo too. Oh yeah, or maybe Shosha's Leo then. I don't know. I I don't know enough about the nuances, but Hannah maybe is Pisces, very emotional. I don't know. Yeah, she's got Pisces. Yeah. She's got Pisces in the chart. Oh, Marnie probably has Libra in her chart, like very aesthetically focused. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, another tweet. Did you guys see that tweet that was like, um, that was someone saying you could buy the dress the, from the episode where she sings Stronger? Oh my God. <laughs> the actual dress? It's like the, yeah, it's like from like Forever 21 or something. You can buy oh it for like God. 20 bucks. I know. It's oh, like that. Oh my God, Halloween is just Halloween. around the corner. Exactly. It was like perfect. True. <laughs> if you did that you would be a hero mm-hmm. okay let's see i'll get my measurements i will get uh <laughs> i'll get on forever21.com right after this or like <laughs> if i can depop something and have it get to me in a day and a half like i i will do my best here because that um it is such an iconic costume like instantly yeah. recognizable mm-hmm. i don't have the wig though but i could just go in my natural brown hair and have yeah. that be like I think that would be really funny. And a mic, all you need is a mic. I don't think you oh. need a wig. Yeah, just get the mic, get the dress. You'll be good. <laughs> I'm like envisioning this in my mind and it's just like, 
Perfect. And <laughs> at whatever party or bar or whatever you do, you'll have to, of course, do a presentation. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I am doing karaoke this weekend as part of one of my Halloween things. So like, oh my oh God. My God. I mean, <laughs> if you don't do this, I'll be sad. Okay. I mean, like, I don't know what the ethics of doing a Kanye song at karaoke are these days, especially <laughs> if, in if these trying wearing, times. But if you're wearing a Marnie dress there, it's, you know, any, any, even it's not about Kanye. It's not about Kanye. It's not at all about him. And if they push comes to shove, I can always do that. Like what I'm now realizing is an Edie Brickell song, not a Marnie Michaels original. Though, like, I'm not aware of so many things. Like I could do that. that yeah, that could be fun too. Yeah. Oh, I, I also was a Marnie got original. some options. <laughs> and then you can end with, um, what did she cover in the last episode? Uh, Karma Police, right? Oh, Karma Police. Yeah. She, in uh, the episode we watched last week, which we will recap in a moment, um, she, they're driving in the car with, it's Desi, Hannah, and Marnie, and uh, a Marnie sung cover of Karma Police is playing on the stereo. Great <laughs> little uh, Easter egg. Wow, I didn't realize that. That is a good Easter so egg. So funny. So funny. Um, should we get into this episode, but recap last week's first? Let's do it. Okay, so last episode, Hannah, Marnie, and Desi went to Poughkeepsie for a lover's weekend that ended in disaster as Desi's oxy addiction hit a terrifying new low. Shosh, Jessa, and Elijah attended Women Entrepreneurs Meet Up Now, which ended in tears as Shosh renounced Jessa's negative influence on her life. Okay, so now this week's episode, which is, I think, unlike... This show has done a lot of two-handers and bottle episodes, but nothing like this to me. Yeah, I I have mixed feelings about the episode, which we will I will fully discuss at the end. Okay. But um, we open on Hannah walking into this huge brownstone, which we find out is owned by uh, renowned author Chuck Palmer, um, who I think is like a stand-in for Philip Roth. He's this kind of raunchy-ish acclaimed intellectual correct mm-hmm. <laughs> and um hannah recently published a sexual misconduct expose about him on a feminist blog quote unquote yeah apparently this was like a pretty niche article on a pretty niche site that got some traction but we're led to believe not a ton of traction so it's odd that this man has invited Hannah to come into the apartment to confront her about the post and um, it's really just causing him anguish. Weird tactic. Also important to note that uh, Chuck is played by Matthew Reese from The Americans and other truly incredible shows. He's like a fantastic actor, um, married to Carrie Russell. Oh, really? Yeah. To me, I don't. I never watched The Americans, but he looks familiar. I mean, he's perfect in this role. He also looks like he would be um, a Safdie brother. He's (laughs) definitely in Safdie brothers drag. I hope that's not like anti-Semitic for me to say. No, I think Matthew Reese is fully Welsh, um, and he doesn't usually look like this. I, I think he got into like 
the whole like shaggy hair Brooklyn like hipster dad the role. look for the role and that's acting sure I also I love the staging of this apartment it's like filled with printouts of his articles and book covers and paintings of the home itself you wrote that down drew i didn't clock the paintings of the home itself yeah and he has that mug that says like i heart chuck or whatever that he drinks out of it's like yeah there's a picture of him with tony morrison oh yeah (laughs) and hannah's chuck's hannah's like i noticed your picture and he's like oh good i'm glad you noticed and she's like well you put it right in front of me (laughs) like of course i'm gonna gonna see it yeah yeah I, I briefly read like a little interview with the director about it and he was talking about like you know with these bottle episodes like especially this one it's just it's just dialogue like how do you make it interesting and um I think one of the things he uh yeah he was he was just talking about keeping that in mind and like kind of the setting being a big part of that and like having so much um so much detail so many of these little details it really does keep you like looking around even when they're just kind of in the same house the whole yeah. time yeah, like it definitely could have run the risk of, I mean, same with like the Patrick Wilson episode um, where it's just, that's his name, right? Yeah. So like when Hannah does the little like sexual vacation in his apartment, um, just having it set in one apartment and with one conversation between these two characters, I I don't know if it's, it, it doesn't always land for me on girls. Um this episode, I, I guess there was more to it, but I, I didn't, I don't know. I, I don't know how captivated I was by this conversation, if I'm being honest. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I guess we we ought to say what the conversation is. Um, he was accused by, quote unquote, Denise on Tumblr that he um, used his college book tour as like a way to hook up with girls, her being one of the girls and forced her into oral sex Mm -hmm. and they have this whole kind of debate about power and whether this was an abuse of power and blah 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 and I don't know it's it felt very of its time you know yeah so I don't know if we want to sprinkle these in throughout the episode but because this episode is so differently structured than what the episodes we usually talked about i aggregated a few little prompts um that we could maybe discuss at various points and i think the first one i wrote down dovetails pretty neatly with what you just said please so first prompt does i feel like we're in like very schoolhouse rock today um (laughs) This episode was written and filmed a year before the hashtag MeToo movement came to prominence. So how prescient is American Bitch and how did the movement shape our like retrospective understanding of this episode? Wow, that is that is that is very interesting. I didn't realize that it was it preceded that because, yeah, because as I was watching it, I kind of felt like, you know, most of this is discourse that I am like very familiar with but I guess what so what year did this come out then 2017 2017? so this came out in February 2017 but it was written and filmed in June 2016 so pre pre pre-election and stuff too Mm, mm. 
so I, yeah so I guess that okay and so the question was like how kind of ahead of its time was this considering that Me Too was like a whole year later yeah I think ahead of its time and also how how easy is it to appreciate this episode given that the discourse has like waxed and waned and evolved in such interesting ways since this yeah it's a good question I well what struck me as odd was uh, I don't know I mean yeah so there's the one element where the uh the the kind of feminist discourse felt a little like yeah like misuse of power kind of like you know that is not surprising like um but I'm I I'm sure at the time it was a less kind of I think especially like the conversations about how ordinary it was you know how how often this happens and like the more subtle points of you know like he watching him get so mad about gray area like I feel like all that was probably pretty and then kind of realizing that the gray area like conversation is generally misused by men to get away with things rather than like an actually like you know intellectually rigorous conversation to have it's more you know whatever I felt like all of that was was pretty uh was probably probably felt pretty new at the time what felt odd to me from a storytelling perspective was like how quickly Hannah transitioned from being against him to being kind of like enamored or like uh kind of softened up or whatever because I was just like would this happen this quickly like would this happen over the course of an afternoon and I don't know yeah yeah I think that um I mean it was clearly the conversation was starting before me too I guess actually officially begun um so there it was definitely in the air and I feel like maybe Hannah's uh how quickly she softened maybe I guess you could think about it as proof of her convictions I mean like or lack thereof you know like she's maybe she doesn't totally buy what she's selling or she's willing to I guess hear what he has to say I don't know, or just Lena Dunham as a writer is willing to see both sides. Yeah. It could also be an illustration of that, like, no one is immune from the power imbalance either. Like, even though Hannah starts the afternoon in a position of leverage because of the expose that she's published, Mm -hmm. she ends it in a pretty similar situation to, like, the girls that he's accused of of harassing and right coercing yeah i I guess you're right like on the total opposite end it could just be further proving her point like Mm -hmm. you know men kind of i mean he uses his charm and his banter and argumentative skills to make you on his side and his, yeah. the manipulation is so crazy all the throughout the episode. Like he keeps reinforcing that she's very funny, that she's a great writer, that she needs to be using her humor and her talent to write about things that actually matter. And he like asserts at the beginning that like what he has done does not actually matter in the grand scheme of things. So why is she even writing about it? Right, he's able to self-victimize really uh, successfully by being like, I can't sleep, I can't sleep. And it's like, 
first of all, you were just in the New York Times and you didn't even have to read this article. It's like the way, you know, Lena position or Hannah positions it where she's like, this is some random blog. Like you don't have to be reading about these things, you know, it's like, but yeah. And so I, I do see how, you know, Hannah's character is clearly a kind of example of um, the stories that she was telling in her article, you know, it, it plays out in her own, in her own life. And, and yeah, I mean, watching it, I did think like, it did make a good point of how you can really politically have language for something um, and then emotionally act a different way. And I've like, you know, seen that happen in my own life and my own uh, interactions with men <laughs> where I'm like, I can very clearly articulate what this man is doing wrong, but like, I still want to feel like loved, you know? Um, and sometimes that sentiment really overpowers your feelings of like knowing how you should be treated or how you should interact with men or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. So one of the really interesting scenes I liked from this episode was Hannah, they're like debating, I guess, like what a non-consensual blowjob could constitute, like something about like (laughs) handlebars and pigtails, which I had never heard before. so funny i mean yeah he's basically trying to make the point he's like what does that even mean how could you even do a non-consensual blowjob and hannah answers it very literally she's like um it would involve a lot of um um, head holding and (laughs) yeah it's so funny it also just shows like his rhetoric you know like rhetoric is his that's what he's working with he's trying to persuade her that you know, this is no big deal. I didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it shows his, uh, oh, sorry. Oh, no, go on. Oh, I was gonna say it shows his kind of willful ignorance. Like we see, um, I mean, that's just like, that's a dumb question. You know, that like that question that he asks ignores all of the power dynamics, all of the ways that coercion happens emotionally rather than physically. Um, and we see from the little like piece he wrote about Denise, is that her name? But the girl, like, he's very, uh, when he wants to be, he's capable of writing things with, like, a fine tooth. What's the word fine? Like, he's very observant. Mm-hmm. He's very emotionally yeah. attuned when it serves him. And then there's other times where he's like, how could you give a blowjob? Like, how could you give a non-consensual blowjob? So it's, like, very clear that he can be emotionally attuned when it serves him and, and yeah. not when it does. And he's very good at making people feel small, too. Like, mm-hmm. right? He interrupts this conversation to take a phone call from his ex-wife that feels very like conveniently timed um and just leaves Hannah to wander around the apartment for a while um and when she comes back and he finishes up the phone call he calls his wife a very tortured woman um with a lot of problems and it's just yeah another example of like being very like glib about a woman's like agency and just like mental acuity to actually be able to make her own decisions and like act rationally yeah like he clearly doesn't really understand women or have any interest in understanding women and i don't know i thought it was interesting also how there's this philip roth comparison um at the end which we'll get to he gives hannah a signed copy of a like quote-unquote misogynistic but good philip roth book according to hannah um and i think it it maybe 
just shows like this how how this kind of I guess misogynistic fiction writer is despite writing about women in this way adored and also you know considered a genius and even Hannah's falling for it which you know I'm not no judgment call either way you know and I actually like Philip Roth so Mm -hmm. I don't know (laughs) it's complicated yeah yeah I think it's just it's very clear that for this man like women don't exist outside of his perception of them like Mm -hmm. his his wife exists in the realm of like the phone call he has with her and the way that you know and even his daughter like I mean there's so much about his daughter that we can get into but I feel like he really uses his daughter um to make himself seem good um and I felt like he kind of uh you know he uses his daughter as a shield against criticism where he's like what if you know what if my daughter's friends see these um this piece you wrote and and it ruins her life and it's like you don't care about your daughter you care about yourself and you're using her um and then he like uses his daughter as a foil to his wife where he's like my wife is troubled but she created this beautiful daughter and it's like again you're using your daughter to like you know just shit talk your wife and then like you know and then he's just he kind of pos- I feel like he positions himself in this way that men sometimes do like they use their proximity to women um as a way to like signal that they're a good man you know where he's like I I love my daughter I couldn't potentially possibly be the kind of guy who preys on on young women um yeah right as a father to daughters yeah 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 very exactly. father to daughters yeah. a lot of what he says is like foregrounded in a fear of getting caught by his daughter's friends too like he mm-hmm. constantly references that like I don't want my daughter's friends like seeing this online and like telling her and I'm like so you're like stripping away your daughter's like like your daughter's not a baby either but mm-hmm. like that kind of makes you seem like more of a protector to her in that exactly. way and it's just I mean also just how at the end of the episode spoiler alert when he uh, whips his dick out and then you hear like dad you know the daughter walks in and he's totally just unfazed he's like i don't know like you don't you don't really care clearly Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i think this is a good segue into (laughs) oh god the internet of it all um in the kitchen they have a big discussion about the internet's role in emboldening victims and accusers mm-hmm. that felt very of its time mm-hmm. then um and it's 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 a conversation that i think has been like played to death in the ensuing six years but like it's something that obviously still keeps happening um mm-hmm. This is when I thought the writing of the episode faltered a little bit um, with the mention of the Salem witch trials and like Matthew mm-hmm. Reese saying like, I'm the witch or whatever. Like it felt a little obvious for this show, maybe. Yeah, I completely agree. I feel like it was very much um, after school special, like we're teaching you a lesson right now. You know, the I don't know, the dialogue felt a bit stilted um and yeah I, I I don't know I I also something I thought about when did cancel culture I know it's been a term longer than it was has been a popular term but when did it start 
as a popular term oh god like probably that I mean, was, it must have been 10 years ago right i don't know but it, like they don't use the word canceled once is something oh. i picked up on so it probably was before that was a word we used every single day um so i don't know i thought that was interesting but chuck says someone can like destroy your life with a single post and then hannah argues like that cancel culture without using this term doesn't exist you know you just you have this amazing apartment you have these great reviews in the times um which i feel like is an argument that i guess we're still having to this day and that just continues to be proven right like cancel culture isn't i mean it's it was really real for a while for a bit you know with me too and i just over the years people are people got tired and it's totally just not people forget or people just want to forget or you know don't care yeah I think like something that stuck with me was one time just like reading I don't know it's a tweet or someone saying like even like in the most high profile cases well it was two things one was that like some an editor somewhere saying this like really heartbreaking thing she realized during me too was that like you know uh a lot there were a few high profile cases or like things that kind of got a lot of attention and she said like as an editor lots of people started sending her their personal narratives of like this this happened to me this happened to me this happened and she had to just respond to all these women who were like sharing their most traumatic events being like yeah this isn't gonna get like published like the only stories that are getting published are stories that are like deemed quote-unquote newsworthy but of course like how can you say one person's story is worth sharing another person's isn't and so in that way like you know uh well that's just kind of one of the shortcomings I felt like of like the me too moment was like we all kind of like I think we're really prompted to share our trauma but like there wasn't it didn't really mean there was going to be justice um in in most cases and then another thing just going back tying back to what you were saying specifically about um cancel culture not being real was like I remember seeing a tweet that was like um you know even in these most high profile cases which are the only ones that really are getting told like most of the time do you even remember the names of the the survivors like no you Mm -hmm. you really don't and yet there's so so much panic from men and just from people in general of like um this ruining a man's life but like 90 percent of the time you don't remember the names of the the women who came forward but like their careers and their lives are like changed forever yeah so i think this is a good transition into one of the other little prompts that i had um how much is chuck palmer meant to be a lena dunham stand-in oh that's a good question wow we should do these prompts more often i love that i think the reason (laughs) i i was thinking about this during the episode because obviously the sexual misconduct of it all is not something that well lena has faced one uh spurious allegation about that from her memoir um but the the, a lot of the criticism here seems to me about like the the lasting impact of cancel culture as we have talked about on the podcast um not in great detail but like one of these days we will get around to it um lena dunham is one of the most like frequently quote-unquote canceled people of the modern internet age like it it for people who were not really online in like 
from 2013 to 2017, Lena Dunham truly was getting like called out for something once a week, like clockwork. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was very was... little ramifications. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, other than just everyone hating her. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She was definitely the, as they say, the main character of the internet every single week. And right. like some of it was very innocuous. Um, like her standing to Nashe and tweeting like like MJ Doctor, they killing me. One of my favorite Lena Dunham tweets of all time. Um, but a lot of it was like I, I think everyone just needs to go Google Lena Dunham Odell Beckham Jr. Oh, to God. look at kind of the worst case scenario for how like clueless, borderline racist, and tone deaf she could be when she was really like not firing on any of her cylinders. Um no professional ramifications though and like to me chuck is sort of an interrogation of that aspect of her persona in some way because this is clearly a man who's regarded as a very um skilled thought leader of his generation mm-hmm. who's not really facing any ramifications for his more unsavory acts but i'm curious to hear what y'all think about this because i might i might be reading into this a little too much no that is something that came to mind for me too was like uh and obviously you know whatever different identities are not a one-to-one comparison but i do think the way that he is positioned as just totally tone deaf not only tone deaf but like doubling down on his position and unwilling to kind of engage in a worldview that is not his own to you know much to his in a way that serves him was um is similar to the way that Lena Dunham kind of famously engaged with race um in those years and uh she she did face a lot of criticism criticism for it and I don't really see her changing much in her storytelling but again it's like I I don't there's this really great Tanhasi Coates um essay about girls where because because you remember after the first season everyone was like why are there no people of color on this show um and then she like she kind of tried but like she just never I don't think there's a any meaningful like people of color really on girls you know there's uh Donald Glover's character on season two who she like makes a Republican weirdly which is again it's just like mm-hmm. weird and not really humanizing I don't think um but anyway, in the Tanahasi Coates essay, he says like uh, she, he doesn't really expect her to like be able to tell the stories of anyone but herself because she's so like you know diaristic in her storytelling, and also she just doesn't have any friends who aren't white. Um, but anyway, in that in that essay, he quotes some things that she and the show what's the show creator's name Jenny something um, that they they said at the time, and it was like pretty pretty vile I can't like remember it off the top of my head but it was like definitely very racist so that is yeah those are my thoughts she she had she could she couldn't engage with race at all yeah um and it doesn't seem like that's ever going to be a strength of hers (laughs) (laughs) no no yeah yeah I see and that's also why I wonder like I don't know if it was that self-aware you know, I think she mm. might have just been responding to the moment. Um, I really like that read on it. But yeah, I just I don't. I feel like for a long time, Lena Dunham really saw herself as like maybe not a victim, but like sort of 
unfairly criticized. I mean, she definitely, if you read articles about her from like the camping era, her often forgotten uh, second HBO show, a lot of it is about like her and Jenny Connor. I mean, she was in peak victim then because it was right after the Jack Antonoff breakup, Mm -hmm. um, right after the dissolution of her partnership with Jenny Connor, um, the other kind of creative force behind girls. Um, yeah, and then that show was uh, hot garbage. So it, yeah, I wanted to like that show so bad. Ooh, I I really only have seen the pilot. I I really tried with it because I was so kind of desperate for it to be good, and it was bad. I think well, Brett Gavin was in it, and I like him. I guess I, I have a question. Sorry. No, no, no. Go. <laughs> I was gonna say. I guess I have a question. Um, if you do think that that uh, that what's his name Chuck? That the guy's name mm-hmm. Chuck is a stand-in for Lena. Do you think that um, even if subconsciously, do you think that then Lena in some way like sympathizes with him? Is there some like yeah? Is there some element of that? I feel like there's. I mean regardless of whether he's a stand-in I feel like there's definitely some sympathy for him you know I can even at the end when um the daughter's playing her little flute number and it kind of zooms in on his face excitedly watching her you he's you know it's kind of telling us like he's just a guy like he's Mm -hmm. just a pervert but he's also a father and he's you know can't help that he's a pervert <laughs> like, that's my not not as black and white but it definitely she's definitely sympathetic to him yeah and I mean she she also queerly feels comfortable enough with him or defensive or some mixture of the both to reveal her own like story with grooming mm-hmm. um that she experienced when she was in fifth grade from an English teacher which mm-hmm. is lifted directly, apparently, from Lena's memoir. Yeah. Basically, wholesale. Yeah. Yeah, that's but. interesting. I I feel like, yeah, I feel mixed on my what my own answer is to that, because I feel like just the fact that it shifted from, like, her being on the defensive to her being, like, kind of, wooed by him and you know we already talked about this but that happened so quickly that part of me is like okay there is some like empathizing with his character or like we're supposed to watch this with the ability to ourselves kind of like empathize with him very quickly um but then at the end that look that you get from him like that horror look like that to me is not very humanizing or empathetic like I I personally felt like very scared watching that like smile on his face in that in that moment so I feel, yeah, I kind of have mixed feelings there um, about that. Yeah. Actually, oh, that that does remind me of one other thing I wanted to bring up about that moment. Like, I was thinking about that and the uh, the preceding episode, um, and I was thinking about like the use of horror um, in these moments where, like, I don't know. I mean, it, it's not it's not horror. The episode is not like a horror episode, but in that moment, like, I I genuinely felt scared. Um, and it felt like, you know, it felt like, it felt like a horror movie. And then it reminded me of the previous episode where they kind of, I mean, it was mostly kind of campy, but like the way Desi's like breaking in and like, there's these jump scares. Oh my God. And yeah. 
I thought that was interesting, like this very kind of random specific use of horror in the depiction of like what it's like to relate with women, uh, relate with men as a, as a woman. Um, I thought that was interesting. And it, it reminded me specifically of Pen15, um, the last season, how there are these just random moments of like horror or like film noir. And, you know, that season is all about um, these two women coming of age and like learning also to kind of engage with men and and it, they use horror to like to show what that's like. Mm-hmm. I was, point. yeah, I, yeah. We were talking last episode. Sorry, I'll I'll let you cut in, Drew. But we, yeah, we were just talking last episode about that. It it is so horror when mm-hmm. it, like it's, it's funny, but it's mm-hmm. jump scares when mm-hmm. Desi's you know breaking glass and trying to get into the house. But Drew, go ahead. And just like the final kind of reveal that like wolfish smile that he smiles after he like essentially successfully gets her to like fall into his trap and like grab his dick like there is something for about that like yeah um have y'all read that joyce carol oates story where have you what's it where are you going where have you been Mm-mm. okay it's really i would recommend it to everyone and i don't really want to spoil the ending but i would say it similarly has a parallel theme of like a woman kind of like knowing that she is falling for a trap and submitting to it anyway mm-hmm. the joyce story is much more horror based than i think the ending of this is but like i um i couldn't like stop thinking about it uh when mm-hmm. i was watching this Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like it was horror. Yeah. For this, the, the fact that like you watch it and from, you're kind of like, oh my God, no, don't do that. Don't, don't sit. So like I watched it with my roommate and she was like, oh my God, she's sitting so close to him on the couch. And again, it's not to like blame Hannah for any of this happening. Like, it's more just like, you can see yourself in that, in those moments yeah. and you can be like, oh my God, yeah. this is you the, yeah you you see how it's going to happen and he set a trap and like even down to the the fact that like he must have I, I read this actually in in uh the new yorker piece about it but like he knew when his daughter was coming home you know like he timed it perfectly so that like he would be saved by the bell you know yeah i think this is a good transition into one of the last prompts i had written down for today so Brenda made a reference to the this incredible new yorker piece from 2017 written by emily nussbaum that talks about this episode um in which that she writes that the caniest trick chuck plays in this episode is making hannah feel like just another woman Mm. how do we think how how does that quote resonate yeah i thought that was genius i love that um that take um because you know it's like his there's like uh, I felt like one of the kind of we've talked about this already but one of the like Chekhov's guns of this episode was the line you're funny like he says it three times throughout the episode first he like says it in his way where he's like informing her um, and it, it, you know he's like and I think that Emily Nussbaum says this in the piece he's like setting her apart he's telling her like you're not like other girls like you're funny you individually are funny and then he says it again the final time right before he like asked her to lie down in the bed with him and he so he he's tell he's like telling her he is allowing her to be funny in his eyes, but then he's like taking away her agency. So it's like this really scary thing of like 
he's been building her up and making her feel so special only so that he can use that feeling for his own, you know, his own whatever um, gain. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, yeah, I mean, just making her feel like just another girl. Yeah, he he makes her feel, I mean, I guess I don't have much to add. He pretends like she's some, I don't know. And it, it just calls into question everything he said leading up to that point, which as a viewer, I fell for, you know, mm -hmm. like he, he said, I invited you over because I like your writing, you're funny, you're interesting you know, things that, yeah, I as a viewer believed to be true. And even after the, you know, dick incident, I was like, wait, did he, was he lying about that? I mean, call me mm -hmm. naive, but <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. And then there's like that last scene where all the, actually there's two things. So there's the last scene where all the, she leaves and she, you know, she got away, but then all the women are going into his apartment. Um, so it's like, she's literally, they're all literally, you know, all the same, like in this, you know, visual representation. Um, and the other thing that struck me as interesting was it starts with this like instrument, instrumental, whatever song at the beginning. And it just, in the moment it's, I, I like wrote it down because I was like, oh, like, I feel like Hannah's at her best when she's like, you know, dancing to pop music. I remember some, like, a, I think a Gia piece in the New Yorker also said, like, Hannah's at her best when she's dancing to Robin. And that stuck out to me because I was like, oh, this starts with an instrumental song that's so weird. And then it ends with the flute bit that's instrumental again. And as Hannah leaves, it turns into Rihanna singing, um, like, a pop song. And I think we see lead, or Hannah leave the home. And, like, I think the instrumental music is, like, his space like this space of like propriety and and control and then we hear the pop music and it's like okay she's she's on her own turf again but like as long as she's in this world of this kind of like instrumental music like she doesn't have agency she's not on she's not in her world she's not like she's not the yeah. main character you know and that's he a really interesting point that's a really really interesting point I like that a lot I think there's a way to read the ending shot as obviously very pessimistic in a way because it's it it's symbolism in a way this show doesn't usually dabble in um a sea of faceless women just streaming into this brownstone but i like i think the music theory of it all lends it a little bit of optimism too because she is she's secure in herself she fell for this trap but like she's not going to stop talking like hannah just at her core can't stop talking so like she's always <laughs> going to speak up mm -hmm. right um i don't know what i will say i'm not necessarily sure this hannah feels entirely of a piece with like the hannah we sometimes see in the rest of the show like this was a shockingly self-possessed and articulate hannah horvath in a way like outside of the like the pigtail handlebars that felt very vintage Hannah Horvath but she's um she's definitely a little bit more like fervent and well-spoken than she usually is I don't know if that's an uncharitable read though no I feel like even in last week's episode we talked about how in the in this final season with each episode she's kind of becoming more uh coherent and well-spoken 
and just you know she's kind of yeah I guess learning how to uh talk about situations and get herself out of situations yeah I mean she's also like on this in this episode I mean usually she's just like talking about herself right like she like has some observation I think in another episode she's like I'm telling you the secret, uh, but that this doesn't make me a bad secret teller. Like th- those are the kinds of things she's saying. But in this episode, she's like moving beyond herself um, yeah. in a kind of rare way. And it makes her, and she's very like, you know, coherent in how she talks about it, but it's also, it makes her come across as, as different from her usual self. Yeah. Do we have any final thoughts about this episode? General positive sentiments, negative sentiments. Let's see. Did I have anything else? Oh, I, I want to read um, two lines I really liked. Okay. Um, one was, let's see, um, it, he goes, Chuck is like, are you even an activist? And she says, nope, I don't even recycle, which I thought was funny. <laughs> very <laughs> Hannah, very just millennial. Um, and also just love that she's admitting to that. Mm-hmm. I feel like another kind of mark of a older wiser hannah and then i love this line right here which i felt deeply um she says she wants to someone to write about her being a total cunt something along those lines and he's like really and she's like yeah what would be better than to like ruin someone's life with your want and sex appeal and like icicle sharp intellect but i'm half jewish so i don't really see that happening for me (laughs) (laughs) so good scream um and i think i honestly i think that's pretty much all i had to say about the episode but i yeah yeah, i I really i mean actually talking about it now i like it more than i remember liking it it's definitely not perfect and look obviously a lot of the discourse that this episode references is both played out and a lot more evolved now than what it was at the time i think i think this the real like ideological strength of this episode is its like pessimistic attitude towards cancel culture which i think it's um i don't think this is a really a prescriptive ideology like she's not offering like fixes for like rehabilitation or like you know how people should talk about it but like I think it is very realistic about how the internet as a court of law let's say is not punitive like Mm -hmm. people can talk but that's the worst punishment and the only consequences that most people are going to face and I think that's a very bold take for 2017 I think it's not as much so in 2023 but like yeah yeah it's very interesting and especially coming from the woman this is an episode solely written by lena and Mm. i think it's just there's a lot of interesting perspective around it that i i really do find fascinating yeah i think yeah i think that the part that i found most uh that i I don't know I liked the most was just how humanizing it was for like women who go through this I and you know and especially just she has the language to understand exactly what is happening and and the way men misuse power and then you see how it still happens and like I found that personally very relatable um and again humanizing and like uh I guess whatever the opposite of 
victim blaming is, um, mm-hmm. you know, just, yeah, humanizing. And I think that's the great strength of the episode is you leave being like, yeah, this literally could happen to anyone. Um, and it's not a moral failing. It's not a personal failing. It's just like, it is how men use power and emotions, and you know. Mm-hmm. I did have one final thought actually about the episode. And that is the Desperado by Rihanna is a 10 out of 10 pop song. It is. It's so good. That whole album is a no skips album. No skips. No skips. If that's the last Rihanna album we ever get, which is looking very likely, um, what a one to go out on. It's so good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy with it. Um, I have to be honest, I didn't fill out any of the final segments this week because I'm like, we can, we can talk through them. They're honestly, some of them have no answer. Some of them do, but, um, usually ask which girl are you in this episode? Um, Mm -hmm. girl is non-gendered, but Mm -hmm. we only have a few characters we're working with, uh, three (laughs) to be exact. Right. So I, yeah, I, I guess. I wrote, I, I suppose I'm Hannah, um, but, you know, I could also be the flute daughter. It, it just depends which life I'm in. Mm-hmm. Right. Do you have any, like, strong opinions about that, Brenda? It, I, it, it's tough. I mean, unless you, no one's going to say they're Chuck, you know? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> right. No, yeah, definitely, definitely Hannah here, I think. <laughs> Yeah, I can I can kind of get on the hand wavelength. Um, much like the daughter, I did play instruments growing up, so in that way, I am also the flute daughter. Um, I love the flute daughter. Yeah, she was cute. It sucks that she has such a shithead dad. I know. Um, She's gonna have but, something to talk about. Okay, I do have a fit check actually for this week. Um, and those were Chuck's house slippers. That he like very obviously stole from a hotel. <laughs> That's a pretty cool move, honestly. Mm-hmm. I've done it. We, I think everyone should do it at least once because those are replaceable and they are, I do think, more comfortable than any house slippers you will find on the open market. Totally. I I, I didn't have a fit check. Um, I, but Hannah is wearing, I mean... She's always she she loves to wear an unflattering kind of confusing outfit, and she's wearing one of those this week, which I appreciate. Yeah, same. Yeah. Nothing particularly stood out. And then our last segment is MVP and LVP. I mean, uh, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> This really does feel like an episode where everyone loses. Like Chuck is obviously the biggest monster of the episode. So I guess he gets LVP, but like I can't give an MVP here. The set designer. No. I thought this was a beautiful house. That's my MVP. That is it. That's the answer. It was a beautiful house. I was like, fuck, could you imagine? Um, wow, that was I, I wonder if we can come up with an oh, I have a good one. Something we said we were gonna do, which is sound of the week. But there's just one song, right? Is Desperado the only song? There's just one song. Okay, yeah. well, guess we're fucked. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought this was a great, a great episode. Uh, do we have any other like 
segments we could do that mean anything okay <laughs> it doesn't mean anything necessarily but like i do want to i this was not a funny episode outside of a few lines oh. here and there this was a very interesting one to talk about but this is probably the heaviest episode of the podcast i think we've done since the um the episode with the q-tip and adam yeah. and talia so um probably true my this is what i would like to know i would like everyone to go around and name one very underrated rihanna song that you would like people to revisit uh over halloween weekend because this episode is coming out on friday before halloween or if you have a spooktacular song to recommend for people (laughs) um my favorite rihanna song is higher also off ante um gorgeous song yeah that's it it's it's like one of my favorite probably if i had to list like 20 songs my favorite 20 songs of all time it's in there it's a great one i mean sex with me i don't know i like i don't think that's unsung or underrated but i love that song i think it is kind of unsung actually i think okay well good because i'm singing it (laughs) oh gosh my like okay i have two i think like my anti-underrated one is consideration mm-hmm. so perfect song perfect perfect song and i think there's a saint vincent cover out there that is also very good that i would recommend people check out um yeah. on a more like i edm rihanna is still kind of my favorite era of rihanna though like the her hits from like 2009 to tw- 2012 unbeatable like truly unbeatable to me um and who's that chick is wow titanic achievement of human history and one that i wish she had done at the super bowl this year that's a call out if i ever heard one it's so good this is a dog whistle to my gaze because like (laughs) gaze of taste uh we know that who's that chick is incredible um funny yeah well Verinda, thank you so much for being here today. This was a very, I think, a great episode of this podcast. And we're sorry okay. we made you such watch such a bummer of an episode. No, no. no. Thank you so I, I'm not sorry because you were so good on it. Like you, yeah. I'm so glad we had you on. Like this was, I thought this was a great episode to guest match, which we can't always control. But yeah. thank you. Wow. Thank you so well, this honored. was great. This was really um, fun. If you would like to be found on social media, where can people find you? Yes, um, you can find me on Instagram at confident underscore leader, which is my alter ego. (laughs) And (laughs) you can find me on Twitter, uh, which is my first and last name for Indigigota. That's incredible. I th- definitely the best Insta handle that we've had uh, from a guest. <laughs> exactly. for sure. That's so I'm good. There. Though I do shout out to former guest um, Spencer Fox. Great mouthfeel. Also a very good Insta handle. And also Charlie Bliss has a new song out today. So go uh, check wow, that out. Yeah, it's great. Um, Thank you again, Rinda. This was truly a delight. I can't wait to. I rarely listen to our episodes, but I so when they're really good i'm like i want mm-hmm. to get that back and i will oh, probably yeah. Listen. oh yeah oh my gosh well Thank we'll you. see everyone next week um for what in my memory is a very good episode featuring 
I think this is one featuring a certain character from the past of the show that I'm very excited to dive into. So until next week, uh, bye everyone. Bye.